Now, I've been around a long time, and so I've seen things come and I've seen things go. I've seen people start well, and I've seen them trip up. I've seen people have a most amazing beginning to something and get distracted or get bitter and lose it all before the end. And so what I want to talk about today is a man who didn't do this and what can help us to be like that. So I'm going to read a a couple of verses from Numbers, chapter 14. Not funny, Alistair. (laughs) You You laughed at the wrong place. Okay. So listen to these words in Numbers. This is where the spies had come back and they told about the promised land. Oh, it's got great fruit, but it's got big giants. And they turned the whole of the nation away from God's purpose by their words of negativity and by the lack of belief in the power of God. But I want to read to you about Caleb. The Lord said, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. Not No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Well, that's a very cheery way to start speaking, isn't it? But listen to this. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow. Now, This is a godly man. He's given a godly report. Oh, those lights are really different. I can't actually speak here. I have to move this somewhere. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot better. (laughs) Okay, so here's a guy who gave a godly report, and then he's turning around and going back into the desert. It wasn't his fault. That's not fair. And you know, there's so many things that trip us up that are not our fault. That we didn't sin, but it's a result of someone else stuffing up somewhere, someone else abusing, someone else speaking words that were not life, someone else. So you have to say, what did this man do that we can now turn to Joshua Chapter 14, and we can read, and you know what I'm going to read, don't you? Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunai, the Kenazite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old 
and Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, okay, that's just the beginning, he says, because I've got something to say to you. Just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time. He's just a little bit older than me. Amazing. So here I am today, 85 years old, just an odd few years. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this mountain. Okay, well that's what some versions say, or give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard it, but with the, uh, you yourself heard it, that the Amalekites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. So Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. And then the land had rest from war. Oh God, you are so awesome, and we need to keep that in our sights. You are so big, so majestic, so powerful on our behalf. You are almighty God. So Lord, Teach us today, just give us a glimpse. Give us a push. Give us an encouragement. We're just looking to you today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Caleb had to turn back with all the others because of other people's sin. Now, how do we know that he didn't? fall into a slough of despondency and become a bitter, twisted, unforgiving older man. Well, we know because of what you read in Joshua, and he's just as vigorous. Now, people who are bitter, twisted, and unforgiving do not have another 40 years of good health. And this is research that's been done over and over again. When you choose to take hold of an unfair situation and become bitter, twisted, and unforgiving, your health will decline because that's what is the law. Uh, It's a spiritual law that happens. So we can't afford it, can we? All right, so we have some clues from Caleb about how not to be like that. And the first one is, that he was a man with a different spirit. So different obviously means not like the children of Israel. (laughs) Oh, we can put some words on what they were like. Okay, so they were complaining and whining for a start. 
oh, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like the other thing. They gave in way too fast. They didn't have a backbone for the kingdom. They just gave in and said, oh, take us back to Egypt. I don't know why they thought they'd have a good time in Egypt when they just cleaned out all the, the uh, warriors of Egypt in the sea and all the nations had, be, had seen how humiliated Egypt um, was. So why would they accept all the slaves back and say, oh, you can have your nice little slave huts back and work for us again, that's fine. You know, they were just in la-la land. Okay, what else would they like? They were full of unbelief. They did not believe that God could do what he said he could do. And so they were fearful. There were giants that were greater than their God. The giants for them had more power over them than the power of their God. And you know, these are things where we make a choice. And you said it this morning. That was a prophetic thing when you said you have to choose. You choose. Now God steps in. The moment you choose, God steps in with a rush of Holy Spirit power and says, I back that up. I back that up with my power because it's what the word of God says is the way to go. So when we choose the word of God and the power of God, God stands behind us and says, I'm coming in by my Holy Spirit to help you with what you chose to do. But you have to make that first choice. And Caleb, when he turned around with all the others because of some a whole group of people's sin that wasn't his own, he had to make a choice. What would he do with 40 years before he could have what God promised him? 40 years. What would you feel like if you knew that the promise that God had made to you would be deferred for 40 years you know, and this is where we make a choice in our hearts. And we say, my God, my God, my God. Because it's all about my God. It's not about my circumstance. It's not about the unfairness of my difficulties. It's about my God. And he is sufficient. And that's what Caleb has got to have experienced through the desert so that he turned his time to mentoring the young men as all the older men popped off the planet and he was, there were less and less older men to mentor. Who were the men who taught the young men to fight so that they actually would be able to conquer the promised land? Well, Caleb's standing there at 85 and saying, I'm fully equipped. I'm just as vigorous. Why? Because he'd been training the next generation to fight. For 40 years, God had him training the next generation on how to fight. Now, there's nothing pathetic about that. That was an amazing call. And if he had turned with bitterness in his heart, God could not have used him to raise a generation of young men to get the promised land. And it's all about choosing. 
It's all about choosing. God said Caleb was a man who was wholehearted. So wholehearted, here's some words I got from the dictionary, completely sincere and committed, devoted, determined and enthusiastic. So he was a man who didn't have room for anything else in his heart except God. You know, when you've got God right fully in your heart, there is not room for bitterness. There's not room for fear. There's not room for those insidious devil little jibes because you are set on God. That's wholehearted. And that's why God, in his assessment of this man, said a different spirit, wholehearted. And this is what God's calling us to, to walk as people of the opposite spirit and to walk as people who have their hearts and their eyes so set on the power of Almighty God that nothing else can get a foothold in their lives, not a single thing. And so he could stand there at 85 and say, give me this mountain and every one of us has a mountain that God has given us he's it's got our name on it so what is the mountain that's got your name on it for your life because you won't get there unless you choose well but if you choose well this will be the most amazing adventure that you could ever go on. If you think that the best adventures are outside of God's kingdom, you are so wrong, and that's a lie of the devil. The best adventures are right in the center of God's will. He has got some things for you that are so stunning and so different. Hey, I better let you guys go. It's okay. Thank you so much. Forgot about that. Sorry, guys. But you can have an adventure. That's what God wants to take you down, Adventure Alley. You know, he has not put you here to give you a recliner rocker with a remote. Actually, that's a lie of the devil. And if you've settled into that every night, oh, God. I mean, maybe you forgot to say that even because maybe it was, oh, news or, oh, uh, whatever that favorite program is. And I watch TV too. But I'm saying that can't be your modus operandi. You have got to have the fight of God in your heart. You are going to wholeheartedly go for God. So the place that he wanted was Hebron. And this is a high place. This is a mountain place or a hill place. Now, I've looked a wee bit about Hebron. Hebron started off a good place where Abraham lived, and he even buried his wife there. So it started off good. But the devil came with the giants and conquered that place. And the name was changed to the name of the chief giant of the area. And what do you think about what that would mean for whether people wanted to go there? Well, for certain, the Israelites didn't want to go there. They were, they were so afraid, they turned tail. So it was a place where nobody wanted to go. But when Caleb conquered it and it became Hebron again, Hebron means a place of company, a place of joining. 
And you know, that's what God does. He takes those things that are fearsome in our lives, that are unattractive to other people, and he makes them into the Hebron, which is a place of unity together, of working together, of living together, of the togetherness of the Holy Spirit's unity. So that's a good thought, I think, as well. Now, we're going to share with you a little bit later just a few things that happened. And I met, we met some amazing people overseas. And, you know, we're talking about Caleb kind of amazing people. I met a guy who said to me, and he's a pastor in Laos, uh, and, and we'll say a bit more about him, but he just told me this thing. He said, oh, I went to prison. Um, that's what you expect if you're a pastor in some parts of Laos. And he said, they put me in a cell with eight other guys. And uh, they all came to know the Lord. So they were quite angry, and they put me in a cell with 15. It must have been a mighty crowded cell. And I don't know how long it took, but they all came to know the Lord too. And so they were so cross with him that they showed him the door. So if you, just a wee handy hint for you, if you get put in prison, the way to get out is to start winning people for the Lord. Now, he could have had a, 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 an opinion about what happened, like, this is miserable, I did nothing, all I'm doing is having a relationship with God and I'm thrown in prison, you know? But no, okay, this is a new environment for me to bring people to Jesus. These people of all people need to know Jesus. So imagine that. And now he goes about and he does his work with police surveillance, but he doesn't stop. He's unmoved. However, um, we experienced what you have to do in this kind of environment. So he said to us, like, I'd like you to pray for my leaders. He's got two churches, this guy. I mean, how lucky is he? Al's only got one. But actually, this guy's got more than two, really. So he's got the government church, and he's, they preach sort of like la, la, la. And they always have people come in and listen to make sure they're doing it right. But underneath, he is mentoring leaders of house churches. And so he said to us, I want you to pray for my leaders, but we have to be careful. So we go in his car, and he says, you've got half an hour. That's all. So we go into his house and we go up. They've got this extra room upstairs. And it's packed with these little wizened, or um, how would I describe them, um, weather-beaten, dark-skinned, small people with eyes like fire. And he said, uh, and I, and he said right, you're going to pray for them after we've given them a bit about um, the resources we have, which they will use. And I said, oh, has anyone got a guitar? Because, you know, I love to pray with music. And he said, oh, we can't have music because someone will dob us in. Imagine that. You can't have this worship because it isn't allowed. So then he, I, he said, and we can't stand up. They can't stand up because people will see them in the windows. But just go around and pray in tongues with all of them. Touch them all, impart to them all. You've got half an hour. Go, go, go. 
Well, how sensible pray in tongues because then they get what the Holy Spirit wanted them to have, not what I thought that they should have. And it won't make any difference to them whether I pray in tongues or in English because they don't understand either of them. (laughs) So we did that and then he says, quickly, we need to go. So we're coming down the house and he just goes like this and he's looking around, making sure that no one's around outside before we get in the car. Then we get quickly in the car and away we drive. Oh, how's that? You know, see, you could be living like that. And he would have every right to say, this really isn't fair. And why can't I worship? And why can't I do this? But instead, he's building the kingdom. And so he's got these men and women who actually probably plant rice during the day. And he's got a map. And his goal is to sow a church in every village in his part of Laos. Oh, it doesn't have no building. No, no, no. But you're going to have a house church because you became a Christian, so you're the leader. And over here, you've become a Christian and you belong to that village. Your house is the church. You know, so it's all about what you choose and what you decide in your head and in your heart as to what you will get as a result. And this is what God wants for you. He says in Isaiah 65, 9, I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, those who will possess my mountains. My chosen people will inherit them, and there will my servants live. Okay, so he's saying, my chosen people will inherit, and he's talking about those who will possess. When you possess something, you've fully got it. It's not on the tip of your finger and insecure. It's secure. You own it. And so what God wants you to do is he wants you to live in the mountains of the Lord. That talks about God's presence. You know, this is like we, the song, Come and Let Us Go Up to the Mountain of the Lord. And when the Lord talks about mountains, he's talking about the place of his presence. Now, he doesn't want us coming and going. He doesn't want us just to visit up in the mountains. He wants us to learn to live there, to possess them, to hold them so securely that nothing will stop you from knowing the presence of God. And that's an eternal perspective. This is not living a feel-good life. If it feels good, do it. No, uh-uh. This is, if God says it's good, then do it. And I, you will know his presence. Yeah. So when he says, give me this mountain, that's a mindset that he has walked for 45 years. So this is about consistency. So you can, you can burn halfway through your life. You can burn at any stage of your life when you go off target. But that's not the end. That's not when God says, oh, trash. God says, come on, I redeem that. I can redeem that. I want to redeem that. So if you weren't a Caleb at some spot in your life, that doesn't mean you can't become a Caleb because the mountain is always there for the climbing. You know, the mountain doesn't go away. God is always saying to you, come and climb my mountain, possess it and live in it and all the riches that are there. Because in 
So on that mountain of the Lord, you are finding the favor of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord, the calling of the Lord, the anointing of the Lord, the promises of the Lord coming to bear. So this is what is available if you will make a decision to climb and not choose the flats. Now, I've got to say, we do have an example in the Bible of a man who chose the flat land. Do you remember it? You see, Abraham and Lot needed to separate because they had too many things and there were arguments in their servants, and Lot chose the flat land. And why did he choose it? Because actually he thought he could have both. He thought he could serve God and have all the rest of the stuff as well, and it was all there. He could see it on the plains. It didn't work out too well. Just think Sodom and Gomorrah. Because compromise leads further than what you initially think it will lead. You only start to go down that lane when you discover that actually addiction to whatever it is sets in, and it's hard to get out. So this is the choice you have to make to keep the majesty of God, the mindset of God, and climb that mountain. Give me that mountain is what Caleb says through the pages of scripture. Give me that mountain. What does that mean to you? You have to think about what those things, precious things that God has called you to, which are more than all the things of the world, all the things the world can offer are just fleeting. But this is the eternal. You know, when we've gone overseas and when you've prayed for us, why? Why do it? Because of eternity. It's about eternity. It's so much more than just this life. We've got to get past this life kind of feel-good idea because we're dealing with eternity in the hearts of men and women of the nations. You know, um, in these nations that we've been in, there are people who've never heard, and there are in our nation too. But, you know, wherever God calls us, if it's here, if it's somewhere else, we are challenged by the hearts of men and women and children who have never heard the Lord, who have never bowed the knee to him, who don't have an eternal prospect that's glowing. Well, actually... It's a bad joke, isn't it? Because they have a really awful eternal prospect that is glowing with fire. And we do need to keep that in mind. You know, our call from God is for eternity. And he's coming back. He's coming back for us and for those that God is going to cause us to bring with us. Whether it was through prayer and you guys have actually brought people to the kingdom through your prayer. We went, but you prayed. And we've never felt so much covering as what you guys gave us while we were away. We're so grateful to you. But you did it for the kingdom. You know, that's the thing. What we do, we don't do it just for ourselves. Caleb was not a man just for himself. He was a man for a generation. David wasn't a man for himself, but God said that he completed his purposes in his generation. 
that's what we want. And it's not about whether you've done well so far. It's about what you're going to do between now and the end of your life. It doesn't matter if you're 18 or 80. It's about today what you decide. Because today is decision day. You know, and this is where you say, no, I like the world. I'm going that way. Do you know what arrogance is? Arrogance is not turning around and saying, no, I won't follow God. Arrogance is when you're following God, but you say, well, it is that too. But, you know, there is arrogance when we say to God, I'm just going to step aside for this because I think my way is better on this one. You know, it's such a little thing that starts a walk of pride and rebellion away from God. The times when we just step away and say, not your will but mine be done. And we don't want that. You know, it's a, it's a walk of humility. And what God is calling us to is the deepest humility. The deepest. And you know the way to go the highest in the kingdom is to go the lowest. And that's why we worship. Because worship just brings us down to say, God, you are so great. And I know where I fit. I fit on my knees in worship. Okay, so here's what God says about your life. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ. Be confident, be absolutely certain of this, that God, who began that good work, will carry it on. It's not your strength, it's just your decision. Okay, it's not your strength, it's just your decision. You make the decision, God steps in and says, and you have my strength. That's pretty good, you can't really beat that. That's the majesty of God behind the man. Wow, how can you lose? You can't. Father, we just are so grateful to you that you stand behind us, before us, beside us. You hold us in your hand and you look at us with love from above. We thank you, God, that we are surrounded and that you give us everything we need to just step out with you to climb, not just to climb now and then, but to climb with purpose and determination for your kingdom, that we would live in those heights and know your presence and be able to give to others the inheritance that you give to us. We want to be those inheritors who can pour it out on other people. We bless you, Jesus.